You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right, good morning. I'm going to try something new today. Does that work? All right. I'm going to try something new today. Uh, try to be down here, and I'm going to step up here. Is that better, or this is better? This is okay? Up. I, I like this, but I feel like, you know, how they have those uh, short presidents? And they have the podium, and then they hide them, and they have a little podium over here. Like, Okay, so I'll do it. I'll do it, because I'm, I'm going to go for it. Good morning. Uh, I want to welcome everyone this morning to, uh, as Hanley said, to the Westside uh, Church of the Greater L.A. International Church of Christ. And I know we have uh, quite a few people traveling and different people to and fro. So I do want to welcome you. If you are traveling and part of our sister churches from around the country, around the world, stand on up so we can recognize you. If you're traveling and visiting uh, from another church, stand on up. There you go. Welcome, welcome. Well, I knew there was at least one because our daughter is from UC San Diego and she's visiting, so, but uh, I don't think she's standing up. I'm going to have the ushers. Uh, I stole this from Children's Ministry. So we've been talking about spiritual formation, and I'm going to have the ushers pass this around, and I want you to grab a piece of it, okay, for during the service. So you can grab a piece of it and mold this Play-Doh into the shape that you want it to be. Hopefully as a reminder of uh, God molding us and shaping us as well, and it'll give you something to do if the, if the sermon gets a little bit boring. You can, like, at the end, I'm going to go walk around and check. That's why I'm down here. But please, whatever you do, don't throw it at the stage. Amen? And uh, some of you are culturally sensitive. I got it in different colors. All right? So you, I thought there was only the white guys. All right, all right. All right. We got yellow ones. We got blue ones. We got all kinds of colors, all right? Hopefully this is a reminder that uh, God is shaping us. He's continually shaping us and shaping our character and helping us to become uh, what we need to become. So this whole few weeks we've been doing a series on spiritual formation out of the book of Acts. Just as a quick reminder, you know, the book of Acts is known as the, the freedom passage of the whole Bible. And Paul wrote to the Galatians because actually he was quite upset that they had traded in their freedom for some religious rituals and having that stand for their whole total relationship with God, and Paul rebuked them. So the book of Galatians is short. Uh, According to historians, uh, he wrote another book expanding on some of those thoughts from Galatians, which is more formal, which is the, uh, the book of Romans. Okay, So it gives us a little bit of background there. So even though, and we've talked about this for the last few weeks, even though Galatians is talking about freedom, Paul throws in quite a bit of theology in terms of what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to live a Christian life? And not just to use our freedom to do what we want, but to use our freedom to serve one another, to use our freedom to build up God's church. Now, today, we're going to hit on a few things here that I think it's going to help us understand our relationship with God. So if we've gone through that, uh, December 6th is a new creation. That's when 
Cesar Lopez, we have a guest speaker. He's going to come. He's going to close out uh, our series together. Cesar is a good friend of mine, so we uh, got him to come. And uh, uh, maybe, uh, you know, he can, he, he's part of the West for a long time. It's a little bit of a homecoming uh, for Cesar. And then uh, this Sunday here, November 29th, we're going to be talking about sin, spirit, and service. And we'll be focusing in on Galatians 5 and 6. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you that we have your word, uh, God, to guide us and to lead us. And uh, not only that, we have the Holy Spirit to help us as well. God, I really sense that from your word that we can get as much help as we want. And God, we can get as much help as we desire and are open to. Father, I pray that today we will be open to you and your spirit. God, he will work in our lives. He will shape us into what you want us to become. I pray that we are more than willing, God. I pray that we can really honor you as we sit and consider your words carefully. And, uh, Father, to be able to become, uh, God, the son and the daughter that uh, you envisioned for us at the beginning of the creation. God, we love you so much. Thank you so much for your word, God. We don't have to walk around uh, not knowing what to do. Help us to be guided by your word. Help us to obey your word and to love your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Today we're going to talk about sin, spirit, and service. And that's really the, the theme of Galatians 5 uh, and 6. Okay. Now, this is the theme scripture that I want to talk about as we lead into that. And it's found in the book of Hebrews. And this is probably one of my favorite scriptures. I got like top 10. This is one of them. Because it shows us how intimately God wants to work with us. That he's not a God that's out there, you know, aloof, disappearing father kind of thing, but he is a father who takes an intimate uh, interest in our lives. Amen? It says, and, and you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement. He's writing to the, uh, uh, to the Hebrew, Hebraic uh, disciples, uh, some historians said. He says, they've forgotten that the encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. So the book of Hebrews sets this up. It says, listen, you are sons and daughters of mine. You're not an estranged kid. You're not, you're not like just somebody I don't care about. I love you and I care about you. And because of that, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his now, you know, we've had some great conversation over Thanksgiving, right? So I always tell the story about how I'm the seventh son of eight kids. And by the time that my dad had me, he was kind of tired. And I was kind of left on my own devices, which is not good. And this is not a good example, okay? This is not a good example. Not all things in the Bible are good examples. They're just there to show us not to be like that, right? Starting by the age of 11, I signed my own notes when I was in elementary school. All right, so the teacher would give a note, give a little progress report of how I'm doing. I would go home, take a look at it, and sign it. I faked my dad's name. I got my dad's name down so good. I mean, I'm like a forger by the age of 11. All right, so not a good example. My dad was so tired. I mean, by the time uh, I was around, he just didn't have the time nor the energy to, to get in there. You know, at his funeral, we gathered around, and my two older sisters were reminiscing about how dad used to take us here and dad used to take us there 
And then all the younger siblings are like, wait a minute, are we talking about the same father here? Never, never happened to me, okay? So it's the same thing. It's like God says, listen, I love you. I have the energy. And I care about you. You know, the opposite of love is not anger sometimes. Sometimes our parents get angry at us. The opposite of love is not, is not even, you know, just a little bit of ammunition here. The opposite of love is definitely not a lack of training. The opposite of love is indifference. And God says, listen, you're my son, you're my daughter. I chasten, I discipline those whom I love. And if we get this scripture down, what it does for us is that it sets us up for a whole lifetime of looking at ways that God shapes us and forms us. Okay? And some of you guys with your Play-Doh, you're like, you're singing really hard. Don't do that. You know, like God does that sometimes. But he shapes and he forms us into the likeliness of his son. We talk about this over the last few weeks. We said that obviously the great thing about being a Christian is that we look forward to being with God forever. That is the ultimate prize. Amen? We know that in our lifetime, it's 70 years, 80 years, and we're lucky, you know, in helpful production of our lives. But really, it's very short. We spend most of our lives, or most of our being, dead. Meaning it's a very short amount of time. However, during that time, hopefully we're feeling that there's a sense of purpose. There's a sense of, that my life means something for myself and for other people as well. And that's why we're here today. That's why we're still here. And that's why the scripture is so applicable that God disciplines those he loves. I hope that when we do get disciplined, that we have the right spirit and the right attitude that God disciplines those he loves. Amen? All right. I have three points today, and we'll start off with the war in our bodies. Okay? Because we are in this world, we are engaged whether we know it or not. And a lot of times, just to be frank, we do know it. We get tempted all the time. There are things in our midst that we don't even think that we should be tempted by. You know, this past, uh, we, uh, Lena's brother came down from the Bay Area, went to this Korean restaurant, and went to another place. And we're sitting there having dinner, and just the TV is just blasted with the K-pop and, you know, girls in short skirts and, you know, just like, I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to have my bulgogi here. You know, it's like, and there's like a lot of meat on the screen as well. You know, it's like, whoa, it's all over the place. So we went to get dessert, went to a boba place. It's exactly the same thing. I mean, they, they got it on the same channel, all right? And it's, uh, it's, 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 it's hard, okay? In the New Testament, there are these two words that battle each other. That's found in the book of Galatians. And the word is SARS and pneuma. Okay? The word SARS means our flesh. And before Paul used the word flesh, it just meant soft, organic tissues. But Paul used it to describe and to really help us understand the frailty of fallen human states. And the precondition that we have that God says, listen, we are prone to sin. We are prone to weakness. There is a part, there is a good part of understanding who we are and having a little compassion on ourselves, that we are fallen human beings. 
SARS versus pneuma. Pneuma is another Greek word that in prior to Paul, really, according to a lot of historians and, and theologians, says that that really just meant you know, wind, spirit. But Paul used it to mean the Holy Spirit working in us. The Holy Spirit helping us in this great struggle that we face every day. If we don't even understand that we're in this struggle, I think we've already lost. If we've given in to this struggle and said that's just the way it is and we're numb to it and hardened by it, we've definitely lost. So Paul is trying to get these guys in Galatia to come back and to be sensitized again to the struggles that they were going through and to get them to understand that they need some help in fighting this, this incredibly you know, powerful struggle that goes on within their lives. Not just the church, not just the world, not just this great cosmic battle between good and evil, but within our own lives. So the war... Thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. It helps, because sometimes you're up there, you go, did people get this? All right, good. So SARS and Numa. Okay, so we understand that there's this great battle. In Galatians 5, and verse 16, let's turn our Bibles there. And Paul talks about this. Okay, am I, how am I looking? Am I still looking like a small president walking around trying to be big? All right, good. Very tall. Very tall. Thank you. Galatians 5. All right. So we're coming down to the close of the, uh, the book here. And in verse 16, we're going to read 16 to 22. He says, I say, live by the Spirit, so you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Paul says, I warned you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, what did Paul say? Paul says, listen, in this great book of freedom, the Magna Carta, if you will, of the Christian faith. Paul lays out this list of sin and says, listen, if we live like this, and the tense of that is not like in the past or whatever, but it's current. And Paul's certainly not saying that if we struggle with this, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But if we live like this, if we continue to live like this, despite having the grace of God, despite being forgiven of our sins, Paul says, if, if, if we live like this, and if we continue to live like this, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul says that, look, there's a great struggle that goes in, and we need to be found on the right side, which is the spirit side. You know, as we look at this, this list here, we find that it's pretty thorough. Okay, Paul lays it out pretty, pretty thoroughly. That basically there, there's four kinds if you look at the list here. And he lists out in, in all this and we go, we're going to go through it. The first one is just the sexual sins that are so obvious 
especially in our day today. You know, I think about when I was struggling in high school or elementary school, um, it's just different. I mean, I, I remember, you know, going and sneaking around with my friends and grabbing a few, you know, porno magazines and getting it from our big brothers and from some of the older classmen and stuff like that. And just, just having to, it took a lot more work to sin back then, it seems like. But now, even, I mean, I, we're, we're talking real here, right? Even, even porno magazines are making a switch. Even Playboy is saying, well, you know, we're not going to do nude photos anymore. And the CEO of Playboy said what? He says, listen, is this so, it's so ubiquitous. We, we, we can't compete with that. And here's the irony of all irony. The CEO of this magazine said that, you know, pornography destroys relationships. He says that it destroys intimacy between people. That if people use this pornography, it, it short-circuits their knowledge and their ability to form great and deep relationships. I don't think he's doing that because he's like repenting or anything. He's making a switch because he wants more market share. Okay? But we as a people of God, we need to get a deeper understanding of what sin is. It's not just a discipline of not looking at pornography. We as a people of God, we need to develop godly personalities. Godly spirits where we go deeper than that. Where we understand that each picture represents someone being abused, someone being taken advantage of. And we as disciples of Jesus says, we don't do that. We refuse to do that. That's someone's daughter, someone's whatever, someone's brother, whatever. That's the spirit that Paul's trying to get at. It's the Christian, and we're going to talk not only in the negative sense, we're going to look at the fruit of the spirit and what we need to become. But it seems to me that there are four types of sin here. The first one is obviously the sexual sin. Paul says what? He says, you know, the, it's, it's the, the immorality, the debauchery. And he said that, uh, you know, uh, these are obvious. These are not hidden. It's, uh, it's impurity. It's, it's, it's obvious. And he hits that first and he says, listen guys, that is like so improper. And I, I love that word in the book, of, I think out of Ephesians. It's, a, it's improper for God's holy people. Meaning what? Meaning that it's not just, obviously we know it's wrong, right? But it's not right for God's people. It's improper. That's, we just don't mess around with stuff like that. Amen? The second one. The second one is a little bit more, uh, the second category he talks about is uh, idolatry and witchcraft. That's more of the religious sin. It's more the heart. Paul gets into the heart level. He says, listen, it's idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is not like when we lived in, in, uh, in Bangkok where you know, every street has an idol in the corner and every, every, every idol has sub-idols and, and not, not just the physical idols, but Paul's talking about the spiritual idols that are in our hearts. And witchcraft, what is that? Secretively doing things seemingly behind God's back. To draw on a power that is not godly. To draw on a power 
that is definitely not from the Spirit, but wanting that power and putting that before God Himself. The secret things of the heart is less obvious, but it lies deep within the heart. It's something that we secretly hold and says, I really don't want to give this one up. I like this one a lot. And we wrestle, we, we, we struggle. And our Christian life is not a joy anymore because it's hard to be joyful when we're constantly at battle, right? And we have to do Christian things, but, you know, we're so enamored and we want so many things that we know we shouldn't have. And here's a secret about sin, guys, and why it's so appealing. It's kind of fun. It is. I mean, let's kid, not kid ourselves. That's why we do it. There is a gratification. There is a good feeling that is associated with it, whether it's the, the moment or immediately after, but the consequences will come. Okay? So Paul breaks it down. The obvious sexual sins, we know that. But he goes into the spiritual sin. He says, you know, the, the God kind of like sin in, in the heart, you know, where it's a spiritual thing that we're hiding. The religious sin. Okay? That no matter what we look like outside, what lies inside? What's beneath? The third one is more of the social sin, right? He talks about what? Jealousy, discord, whether it's within the church or outside of the church. And he says that, you know, he says that, and he lists them off. I think it was like eight things. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, factions, little groups that we form. That we were, were, you know, that we find comforting. Little groups that we go, you know what, I like this group and I really don't feel like going outside of my group because they know who I am, they're comfortable with my sin, they like, you know, I'll be honest with you, I like clicks myself sometimes because there, there are some things that we find in each other that we find commonalities in, right? And to be honest with you, I think it's okay. Like, if you like that, you know, we, we can have a, a group. But when it stays that way, that's where the faction is. I think even within our church, I think there are people that, there are brothers and sisters who, you know, like, I, 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 I like my group, and I really don't want to go outside of my group. And I, I don't want to experience things outside of my group. So when we do meet together, I'll meet with my group, but I won't meet with a greater group. And that's a faction. That's, that's what it's called. It's, I don't know another name for it. It's a faction within this group. And it shouldn't be like that. It's good that we find groups that we like, and there are groups that, that helps us, that understands us. Those are great things. But if we're not allowing ourselves to be influenced by other people, then that's a faction. And Paul lays it out. He says, that's not acceptable. Uh, in the church, within God's people. And I think there needs to be some changes in that. I think we need the leadership of those groups. You need to really understand that, hey, look, if you are leading people towards that, it's a reflection of who you are. It's a reflection of your values. It, I get it. it. It's easy. I mean, it's, I get it. I get it easy to stay in the comfort of, you know, that's why we have comfort food and comfort friends and we have, you know, we have all these comfort things. We get it. It's easy 
to fall into that. But the Christian personality doesn't give in to that. We push ourselves. And I tell you this, when we do that, we cheat ourselves too. We do. We eliminate the possibilities that the Spirit has for us. To learn from other people. To see things from a different perspective. I've had brothers that come up to me and talk to me about, we don't talk enough about Jesus. We don't talk enough about race. It's all about Jesus. It's all about race. In the things that we do. In the things that we, we how we communicate with one another. And how do, how do we look at ourselves as well? You know, in uh, the third, was that the, the third one, right? The fourth one. Let's take a look at the fourth one. It's, uh, and he says, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. The fourth category is more like the world pagan world. Okay? Paul's saying that who are we more like in our Christian walk? Are we more like the world in our thinking? Do we struggle with these things? Like, Paul's shocked. He says, you know, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. These are pagan things. They revel in it. And it's normal. And Paul says, that, that we, that's not who we are. Whether we do it, you know, it's so obvious sometimes. But even in secret, Paul says, obviously, you know, that's, that's the pagan world. We are not of that world. And Paul says, if we live like this, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. To me, when I read that, it's so overwhelming, I'll be honest. It's just, man, it's dealing with this, dealing with that, dealing with my inner self, all the stuff that the world throws at us, my thoughts, my feelings. My, my weaknesses. And that's where the Spirit comes in. If we choose to do it by ourselves, we're going to get crushed. Not going to make it. Not going to make it. I grew up Buddhist. And as I was growing up, this is for me, okay? As I was growing up Buddhist, you know, Buddhism is a balancing act. It's a philosophy. And where it comes from, I mean, it's, to be honest with you, I, I really didn't know. All I knew was that as I was growing up, I need to be good, whatever that means. I need to be good, that balance out my evil. At the end of the day, you know, that big accountant in the sky looks at my ledger, and I have like one better good thing than bad, I'm going to make it, okay? But living like that was really frustrating, because as though I was trying to be good, I knew that I wasn't. I knew that I was not good. So when I studied the Bible, when I studied the Scripture, it made perfect sense to me that we are saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. But that grace doesn't stop at just saving me. But that grace goes on to help, to become, to, to help me to become what God wants me to become. It's the Spirit living and working in all of us. Amen? Point number two. It says, the power of the Spirit. Let's go back and, and read uh, in John chapter 16 as Jesus was about to go to heaven, get crucified. 
He says that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be with us, to help guide us collectively as a church and individually as people as well. He says when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me. In the old NIV, in the 1984 NIV, says that when he comes, he will convict men of their sins. He will convict. That's part of the job of the Holy Spirit. It's to try to get so hard for us to take responsibility for ourselves. It is hard to do that. God sends people. God sends his Holy Spirit. God sends situation. God sends the Word. But we are an elusive creature. We really are. And even when we talk to each other, we are elusive. It's almost like playing battleship with each other. It's like, B4, Miss, A5, you sunk my battleship. It's like we're trying to find each other. And to be honest with you, that's just the way we are. But are we even in the game? And allowing ourselves to be found. The Spirit comes to prove that we are sinners. That's all. Why well, take a look at Galatians chapter two and verse twenty uh, chapter five and verse twenty-two. I love this scripture because it comes right after. It gives me relief from the scripture that we just read. In Galatians chapter five and verse twenty-two says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Paul says what? is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, is all those things. It's balance. You see, when we look at that list, some of us are naturally pretty gifted at some of these things. Some of us are pretty patient, okay? Naturally. Some of us are a little bit more joyful, naturally. Okay? But the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is plural. It's a balance formulation of who we are. It's not like, man, that guy's got some great skills or great uh, attributes, but some incredibly evil opposite side of him as well. That's not what the Spirit's job is. It's this formulation of who we are. So we don't measure ourselves by saying, well, I'm joyful. I'm with the Spirit. We measure ourselves by really a complete list of, of what the Scripture is talking about. The fruit. There's a reason why it's singular. The fruit of the Spirit is all these things. So that's how we measure ourselves. And that is the Spirit working in my life. Some of us, I tell you, you are incredibly gifted in some of these areas that we need to emulate and we need to really learn from. But don't limit ourselves by just, man, I'm really good at this. Allow the Spirit, that's His job, to formulate these different things in our in our. The Christian personality. To be like Jesus. You know, anger by itself is not sin. It's not. But to know when to be angry. At the right time, at the right place. At the right moment, at the right amount. That's the Holy Spirit. 
that's hard. That's really hard. You know, allow the Spirit, the gift that's been given to us, to form us, to shape us. You know, it's funny that the gift of the Holy Spirit is not like what we think of today, because sometimes church gets a little bit boring, and we want to just jazz it up a little bit, right? In L.A., there was a movement that started about 100 years ago. You know, dance around and, you know, lift up our hands and go crazy a little bit and say things that we don't know and some variation of it. That's not what the Bible's talking about. The fruit of the Spirit is, these are very, very, very tangible. These are very, you know, like just intrinsically characteristic things. Character things that the Bible's trying to get us to become. I love this list because it's almost like, really, again, if, if you can break it down, there seems to be that there's three parts of it. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, the first one is this love, joy, peace. And those are just God things. All right? Love, joy, peace. The second one is more of relational things. All right? Just the, the kindness and the goodness and the patience. Those are the relational things. You know, the Bible talks about being good. During the holidays, guys, we have a great opportunity to be good. And I appreciate what we do in helping the poor and serving the food and stuff like that. But there are so many opportunities to be good, to give, to, to open a door for people. You know, when we go out to eat, you know, when people are serving us, you know, instead of just treating people like servers, we treat people like people. You know, we look at people serving us and we say the thank yous and, and we, we, we're... we're, we're we're cognizant of our surroundings, you know? That there are like 90 other customers besides us. That we need to kind of think about these little things a little bit more. Goodness. The Bible talks about those. Goodness. And yes, we might be tempted to re-gift that fruitcake that's been around for, we don't do it because that's not good. It's not nice. You know, in the third group, you know, it's talking about self-control and gentleness about ourselves. You know, things that God wants for us. Self-control. And gentleness. I always feel guilty when I talk about that because I look at my girls and my girls are like, yeah, right, Dad. You know, just kidding. Stop, stop preaching when your family's in the room. It's tough. It's tough, I'm telling you. That's what they say, right? They say a prophet is someone who lives a thousand miles away. You know. And I get that. I get that. You know. The Spirit wants so much for us to have these things. The Spirit wants so badly, you know, for us to keep in step with Him. You know, I think about being a Christian. We all gave up so much to be Christian. What do we get back? Well, obviously, Jesus died for us, right? Like I said, we go to heaven. What else? We, we get to be like him. Isn't that cool? We get to be like him. We get to be shaped by him. We get to be formed by him as well. Let me close on out. I got 10 minutes left here. How's your Play-Doh, by the way? Is it pretty cool? Does, it, does that help? I mean, it's like just messing around. We should have a contest at the end. Who's got the prettiest Play-Doh? How do we deal with this? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to 6, 
Okay, how do we, how do we, how do we become more like what God wants us to become? We know that we have sin. We know that we're frail. We know that we're SARS. First John chapter 1, verse 5 to 6. John says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. We claim that fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness. We lie and do not live out the truth. The Bible says what? It says, look, you know, there is no darkness in God. If we claim that fellowship with one another, he says, we walk into the light. If we don't, we lie and do not live out the truth. So it gives us a glimpse of, okay, what do we need to do here? Okay? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all Okay, so what do we need to do? The Bible makes it pretty clear. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. We know that we're not perfect. We know that we're going to fall. So what's, what's, what's the solution? Walk in the light. We are a fellowship of people in the light. We are open with one another. We get the help that we need. We don't live secret lives in the fellowship of God. The Bible says that when we do that, we actually negate what fellowship is, and we do not have fellowship with one another. We can meet together, we can sit together, we can even live together, but certainly we do not have fellowship with one another. So John says, if we want to be the real church, if we want to be the church that the Bible wants us to become, spirit-led church, then we need to walk in the light. I want to encourage us in the month of December. Galatians is the book of freedom. We need to go back and read it again. What does it mean? But more than that, I want us to really go through what this scripture means and pull someone aside and go, you know what? I got stuff in my life I need to talk to you about. And hopefully we're not dealing with stuff, and that's fine too, when it's all bad already. I think God can still work in that. But hopefully we're dealing with stuff at a temptational level. We're dealing with stuff at a level that it's still kind of manageable. I tell you this, there is a point where we do go too far. There is. And I've, I've, I've been a minister for a long time. There have been times when people come up and say, hey, look, I, I, you know, I said, man, it's, in my mind I go, wow, that is really deep. It is going to be so hard to get out. And don't take, take my word for it. Romans 1 talks about that. He said, there is a point where we go way way too far. And the grace of God, the power of God, I'm not the one to say it's limited. I'm just saying that from Scripture, because we've gone so far, it's hard to come back out. It's hard. Walk in the light. In the month of December. Let's grab someone. Don't wait until December 31st. You know, maybe, maybe December 1st, all right? Or maybe today. Grab someone. Says, look, and I, I, I need to talk to you about this. And I tell you what, that freedom, that feeling will come. Amen? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, and he is faithful and just, we'll forgive our, uh, our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not with us. Either we battle our sins, or we battle the spirit that's on our side. Okay? He's trying to help us. 
guide us and lead us. Point number three was, as we close on out. The responsibility of the church. When we talk about sin, spirit, and salvation, we know that the spirit wants to help. The spirit is given to us. All right? Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you the spirit. But he also gives us the church. And that's why two weeks ago I said that the last lesson that we did about authority, it's tied in with this message today. Because God gives the church a certain amount of authority. Okay? A certain amount of authority to really formulate and form the church that he had in mind. And that's where the responsibility of the church comes into play. All of us together. Galatians 6. Let's read there from uh, verse 1 to 10. In Galatians 6 and verse 1, he says, Brothers, sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore now, we're going to go through this one by one because here Paul gives us like remedies, okay? And he helps us. He says, those who are spiritual should ignore the... No. Should relegate him to the back or, you know, in the corner. No. He says, those who are spiritual should do what? Restore him gently. You see, when Paul gives the authority to the church, when God gives the authority to the church, he also knows that there is such a propensity to abuse that authority. So that's why Paul, through the Holy Spirit, says we need to restore people gently, knowing that we struggle with the same thing probably. Okay? He says, but watch out, or you may be tempted. We don't have time to go into this, but it just basically means that we get tired sometimes of dealing with things. You know, we get really burned out. That's where the Spirit comes in, because if we rely on our own strength, we will be burned out. You know, dealing with people's lives, our own sins, it is hard work. So Paul says we need to deal with people gently. We need to be careful that we watch ourselves so that we won't be tempted, not to perhaps fall into the same sin, but perhaps fall into cynicism, lack of faith, anger, unproportionately, and self-righteousness as well. In verse 2, he says, Carry each other's burdens in the way that you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to anybody else. For each one should carry his own load. Paul says, take care of yourself. So that you can be this great person? No, so that we can be able to help other people as well. But at the very least, Paul says, take care of yourself. Take care of your spiritual being. Take care of your marriage. Take care of your children. Take care of your life. So that we're in a position that is more blessed to give than receive, right? Take care of yourself. And a lot of theologians actually is talking here that Paul's making a transition to the financial burden of the church. That Paul's saying, hey, take care of yourself. Take care of your well-being. Take care of who you are so that you can help the church and the people 
uh, in our communities as well. Verse 6, it says, Anyone who receives instruction in a word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Paul says, you know, we're not on defense all the time. We're not on defense. If we're on defense all the time, we're going to lose. If, if all we're dealing with is, man, I just want to stay away from sin. Oh, I just want to, you know, I just don't want to look at this. Or oh, I don't want to, you know, deal with this. Paul says, go on the offensive. He says, there is a responsibility within the church to help each other to become what God wants us to become. I want to share a couple of things here uh, in terms of what does that look like? This is from Brad Harper. He's a, he's a, a chair of a Bible college. He says, many U.S. evangelicals think not, but historically the church clearly has the right to say someone is not living in harmony with the gospel and to separate from them. And if being a Christian includes membership in a community of faith, then this does call their salvation into question. That's one part. The second part. He wrote a book called Church Discipline. He says, church membership made visible through the ordinances is a public affirmation of someone's profession of faith. Meaning that in the church, there is a rule of faith. That that's what we believe. Rule of faith, that's a term from New Testament Christianity. When the New Testament churches, when they were formulating the Bible, they didn't have scriptures for the first, they didn't have what we have now. Yeah, but they formulated the rule of faith, rule of conduct for the people that claims to be Christian. He says church discipline is a removal of that affirmation. He says the latter is not a denial that someone is a Christian. It's a statement that the church is no longer willing to affirm someone's profession. You know what that means? That means that the church has no power. We don't have the power to judge as human beings. You know who you are, where you stand before God, where I stand before God. But as a community of faith, people that have these ordinances, that have these commonalities of what we believe to be the Word of God, that the church does have authority. So you know what? If you don't want to be a part of this, then we can't take responsibility for who you are. Okay? We can't, we can't affirm each individual's standing before God. We're, saying, we're just not sure. Okay, we're just not sure. And I love what it says at the beginning. It says at the beginning there, it says, many evangelicals think not. Because we've come to a point where it's like, oh, it's all relative. You know, it's like, hey, who are you to judge? Doesn't that, you're right. But the Bible has a place to judge. We use the scriptures to formulate what we believe. Amen? These are heavy things. But in order to protect the church, that's what the Bible is. And it's not just about our church here. It's about the people that live around, that looks inside the church, and to make their judgment to see, is this the real deal or not, as they come and they visit our services. They look at our purity. They look at our Christian personality. Do we exhibit the Spirit of Christ? 
Let me close on out. In chapter 9 of Acts, and just listen here, because I didn't want to end out on a down note. Acts 9. It says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. And it was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord. Encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. You see, there are a lot of elements there that we had just talked about. That the Spirit has given to us to help the church to become what we need to become. To disciple us, to teach us. But the Christians, the reason why they grew was that the Bible says that they lived in the fear of the Lord. That they understood the destructiveness of sin in relationship between each other and between us and God. That they understood also that they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was given to lead and to guide the church. And God says when that happened, they increased, not only numerically, although it's in numbers, but in spirit, in personality, in character as well. I know today's lesson was a little bit tougher, right? A little bit more like, ooh, that's right. Uh, thank you, Tony. Tony, you're the man. Thank you. All right? But this is good. God disciplines those he loves. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.